Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. Okay, welcome to episode 19 of the Know Their Story podcast. Um, I didn't remodel my house. I'm actually sitting in Spokane for the weekend. Uh, it seemed like a really good weekend to get out of Seattle. <laughs> Why? I'm enjoying reading the newspaper articles about the riots rather than experiencing oh, them. Rather than experiencing them firsthand? Well... That's, that's the sure sign of us getting older, buddy. Well, anytime you get uh, hung up on the freeway now, you're like, is this just traffic or protesters? Oh, my God. They, they, they have that propensity lately. Uh, but still in Taos, New Mexico. Mr. That's Taos. me. How, how is Taos today? Taos is lovely today. We uh, The snow from uh, last week melted off, and we're expecting a new batch later this weekend. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Well, get out with your yeah. All right. Very special guest today for me. We we go back a ways, all the way back to 2001 when I joined CBP. And well, I was just customs then, my mistake. Uh, and uh, met this, this fine gentleman as one of my supervisors. Uh, but I made a mistake when we were talking and said, you were a Marine. And he corrected me and said he is a Marine. Uh, was a corporal and an M60 gunner and cross-trained on anything else that can blow something up. Uh, so he is a, a true American, every sense of the word. Uh, went to Vietnam in 1972 uh, to 73. Uh, came home, joined the Bureau of Mint, uh, moved over to the Customs Patrol Service. Uh, that was too effective, so Customs got rid of it, and he joined inspection. Eventually moving to Seattle, where he met a young yet... Um, uh, volatile, uh, a brilliant yet volatile young officer and groomed him into being a supervisor. Well, volatile is the best I can say about that. Uh, but please welcome Corporal Louis Sanchez, or to me, always Supervisor Sanchez. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so now you are enjoying quasi-retirement in, in Florida. Uh, you said yes, you have a part-time job to... Uh, to um, help with your uh, gambling or not gambling your <laughs> <laughs> all right Dustin I'll turn it over to you <laughs> actually it helps it helps out with travel it really yeah. does and then you know little special things that you want to do uh, yeah. I don't have to rely on my pension on it I just this gives me extra money to do stuff so it's uh, fun I mean I have a really fun job I really do what are you doing how much uh, how much does has your golf improved since retirement uh, well, I'm not into spotted owls anymore or the uh, bystanders, so I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm getting it down the fairway rather than, you know, somewhere I have no idea where, you know. <laughs> That's not as exciting, then, if you can always find where it went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. It was like hunting for Easter eggs when he used to hit before. <laughs> like, where'd it go? I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, to answer your question, Dustin, um, Louis said you are a... Uh, traffic officer at the Sarasota airport yes uh, I am to which I told you that I will accept nothing less than a viral video of you dancing um, 
Yeah, we're gonna need that as soon as. Well, you that'd can get be to real us. ugly. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think. Have you not seen those? <laughs> that's pretty I much. Have. I have. How they... <laughs> I, I couldn't compete. I'm sorry. I can't. All right. Well, we always turn the first question over to Mr. Sweets. Louis, where where were you in uh, where were you in life when you decided to join the Marines? How did you how did you come about the decision to turn yourself into a, a Marine? Well, I'm originally from Bronx, New York, and okay. uh, what ends up happening was that kind of a long story, but we, I wound up in Springfield, Massachusetts, living with my oldest sister and my middle sister. There's three of us. So what ends up happening is that my middle sister just got married. She's on the way to, she's in the Air Force and she's on the way to England. My oldest sister was just met a guy. She got engaged and everything and I'm just finishing high school. So I'm 17 years old and I didn't want to go back to the Bronx. I really did not. That, that was like out of the question. So my parents are still living there. So anyway, what ends up happening is that I wind up all of a sudden, you know, normally back then you had the recruiters coming into the high school. You know, so I saw the army guy and I was like, oh, okay. You know, saw the air force guy. Well, I'm wearing the air force ROTC uniform. Okay. I know about that one. No problem. Navy guy came in, you know, eh, I was impressed when the Marine came in with that uniform. I was like, oh yeah. But I was talking to him and he says, you know, just be prepared. This is not easy. I'm like, I love challenges. That was, that's just me. It's the way I am. And uh, so I decided that's going to be it. That's my ticket out of here. You know, and that way my sisters can live their life and I can, you know, I can venture to a new life. Of course, you know, it all looks good when you first start out, you know, the old hugs, everybody's saying goodbye because everybody's going to separate ways and whatnot, you know, and crying and whatnot. You get to boot camp, all of a sudden the first day they're off, you know, they're screaming at you to get off the bus. That's when all of a sudden in your brain, you're going, what in the world did I just do? Oh my God, did I really screw it up now? So <laughs> then you're, you're there. Now you have to deal with it. No problem. Get through boot camp, go through advanced training. That's where I learned about the machine guns and all the other, all the other stuff that I had to, you know, use. Um, it was, you know, like I said, it, it was a journey going through the Marine Corps. But one thing I have to say is that I would do it all over again. It really helped me um, bring that, you know, take that child and bring it to an adult. Because even as an NCO, um, non-commissioned officer, which is a, as a corporal, you finally get your little blood stripe, the, the red stripe on your pants. That was, that's a ritual all by itself right there. But now you're responsible for other people. You really are. They're training uh, everything. You know, you're responsible for them. Um, and as you go up in rank, you have more responsibility. I was a corporal. So I just had what a corporal normally has for responsibilities. But it also gave me all the tools that I needed when I left the service and I started working as a, you know, as an officer, um, all, you know, all the tools that I needed to actually do that job and do it correctly. One of the things I've always kept in that is that in the Marine Corps, they teach you as a pecking order, you know, so basically the private, make sure that the private gets food first, then the, you know, then the PFC, then the Lance Corporal before you eat and then the Sergeant eats and you know, on down the line. So you take care of those that are beneath you always, rank-wise, not beneath you anywhere else, but you know, rank-wise, you take care of them first. They come first before you do. You never ask them to do something that you will never ever do, okay? So, you know, that was one thing, Merlino will tell you, I took care of those guys, I, you know, 
I loved working with, with the guys that I had and the gals that I had. They were wonderful. They were the best people ever. I kept on saying they're more brilliant than I was. So, no, that, there's a there's a whole yeah. school of thought there that really transcends. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that was uh, I, that's a take that I take you know, took with me pretty much is caring. The other thing is it also puts life in perspective for you. You know, um, yeah. The only thing you really have to worry about is you know is dying. You know, uh, if you see somebody hurt, you you know how to respond quickly. Um, it's not you're no longer thinking about it you you react yeah. so that's one of the things i have to say that you know i love about the core that taught me a lot of stuff where you, uh where did you where did they where did they stage you in vietnam i was actually on a vessel uh when i we got there so we're doing the golf of tonk and however we did uh, a couple of operations uh we were moving a lot of the south vietnamese military north so they put them on you know Ground security, machine guns and stuff. Right. As the helicopters pick these guys up, put them on the ship. We get back on the ship, you know, back in my birthing compartment. We're not allowed to talk to them or anything. Leave them alone. They're on the on the flight deck. Next day, as you know, as we moved up, getting ready to drop them off again. Ground security, get these guys off and everything. You have to remember that back then we had the Paris peace talks also. Right. So they wanted very little combat involvement. Actually, none. <laughs> On, on my part, you know, so here I am out there and also they said, don't you dare, <laughs> you know, you call if anything happens, we'll tell you if you can, you know, so, okay, good. So here I am kind of fodder out there <laughs> pretty much, but it was, um, like I said, it was enjoyable. I, I, I got to see what was the country looked like. I got to see what, you know, what was going on and stuff like that. And, uh, my heart went out to them. They really did. Um, March of 73 was to me uh, a moment that I remember vividly. We had picked up some POWs and they brought them onto the ship, triaging, you know, helping them off the helicopters to look like cancer patients. Just thin, kind of pale, grayish, get them off the helicopters and they're quickly into sick bay. They're getting them over there. Um, it was just, you know, it's just those, that image that just stays with you and you're looking at them and you're going, oh, my God, you know, that, what did they go through? You know, so I remember that part of it um, coming home right after that, because right after right after we did that, I got my orders to go home to Treasure Island, San Francisco, Man. and I'm waiting for reenlistment orders at that point. So. We get I get there to. Um, Treasure Island, and I've got leave, a bunch of leave on the book. So I'm heading back to the Bronx. So take a midnight plane out of there, uh, get to New York. And when some happenings, all of a sudden, you know, all the cab drivers are lined up. I'm in my dress blues and I got my sea bag with me. And I go up to the first cab and I go, you know, he says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the Bronx. He goes, oh, no, I don't go there. So next cab. No, same, same answer, same answer, same answer. Finally, this guy way kind of like 10th car back. Hey, hey, you just come back from Nam? So I go, yeah. He goes, come on, come on. I'm thinking, oh, great. When I tell him I'm going, he's going to say no. Nope. He grabbed my seat bag, threw it in the trunk. He says, no, sit up in the front seat. Sit up with me. He says, you have to learn. We've got to take care of each other. No one will take care of us. I said, okay. I, I, what does it mean? You know, what is he talking about? You know? I haven't experienced the stuff that a lot of them experienced back in the 60s, 
where they were coming home to the airports and, and all of a sudden people spitting them and everything. I came into Travis Air Force Base, which is in Fairfield, California. From there, you know, we got a military bus that took us straight, you know, straight down to Treasure Island. So I really had no exposure to a civilian airport till I went to San Francisco International. And it was like, you might as well be a ghost because nobody really said anything to you. They just walked by you like, like nothing. Got on a plane, came to New York, like I said, this guy picks me up and he's taking me. Funny thing is he goes, hang on. So he pulls into a liquor store, buys a, we buy a pint of rum. We're killing that damn thing on the way to my, to my mom's house. So we get there um, to, you know, to my mom's house, my mom and dad's house. And uh, so he wants to help me with the seat back. I said, oh, no, don't worry about it. And I said, well, how much owe you? Now, now I looked down, the meter wasn't even turned on. I says, no, no. I got to, no, no, we got to take care of each other. So I had quite a bit of money with me because there was no place to spend it. So I took a $20 bill, which is a lot of money back then because he was my angel that, that took me, actually took me to my house. I put it on the seat without him realizing. And then I grabbed my seat bag, kept on going, gave him a hug, say, thank you very much for everything. And that was my homecoming pretty much. Uh, of course, parents are just ecstatic because I got home earlier than they thought. And uh, so my mom was ecstatic. She couldn't wait to show, you know, take me to see my dad. Um, and then reeling back, before I went in the military, um, dad worked for Triangle Sheet Metal, who is modular components. You know, both those companies are, are the same. They did the heating and air conditioning ductwork for the Twin Towers. So in 1972, they were done with the Twin Towers. So 73, I'm coming home. Dad goes, oh, you got to see those buildings. They're beautiful, you know. The Twin Towers are gorgeous. So what ends up happening is that um, after work, he took me there. We got to see, you know, I got to look at it. Unbeknownst to me, that's where the customs headquarters was at for New York. Uh, I actually got to see now, you know, I, I've rode the elevator on the outside, the girders when they were building it yeah. back in 68, 69. And now I'm actually inside of the building going up <laughs> and seeing it and everything. And it was, I mean, it's beautiful beautiful building. But anyway, that was kind of where I was at. Came over um, VRA. Nixon just signed uh, signed off on the VRA, Veterans Readjustment Act. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is that all I had to do is show up, sign the, um, if there's a vacancy announcement, sign out, you know, fill out the forms and everything, turn them into personnel right there. And I had the job within a month. You know, wow. so there's no testing, no nothing. That was a VRA, the very beginning, because that's how they ran it, you know, in the very beginning. Now, of course, you got to do the testing. You get a 10-point preference if you're, you know, if you wouldn't five-point, you know, for a regular veteran. It's a whole different ball game now than it was back then. So for me, just to come off the street, actually get out of the service, within six months, which with me was not even six months, it was not even a month, I went directly to the Mint, and they had a vacancy, filled out the paperwork, had the interview. They took me up to the range to shoot, qualified. He says, okay, you've got the job. That's it. So that's how my whole career started. Wow. You know, like I said, I was blessed because I, I look at how, what Merlino had to go through, you know, and what people have to go through now. Right. You, know, you got interviews, you got this, you got that, you know, and you got to pass every single one of them, you know? So, it, took me, it took me 18, it months, 18 months to get hired between startup process to hired in Seattle. Um, 
you know, 18 they, months. Yeah, because you have a round of testing and then you don't hear from them for three months. And then they're like, okay, uh, you made it to uh, the background check. We need all this turned in next week and on and on. And then um, when it goes to actually getting assigned to your port, you're given a phone number to the placement specialist and you call and call and call and the mailbox is always full. And, you know, that was my first introduction to the government. And so one time I called um, like nine o'clock on a Friday night and I was like, okay, no way a government employee's in and they should have cleared their mailbox at least. And I was like, Aw. and so, you know, they kept offering me San Francisco and all of the places that, you know, there's no way you can survive on the government salary. And I said, oh, well, what about Seattle? Because yeah, my wife had a job and she said, well, we do have a spot open there, but it's for a female. And part of me is like, I think that's kind of illegal, but whatever. And she said, if you want Seattle, just wait. Like, just tell me you want Seattle. I'm like, like, I started this process with you three months ago and you're just bringing that up. And so then it took another month and they called and, um, and I got Seattle. So awesome. So yeah, but that, that 18 months. I was not unemployed that long. <laughs> I was like out of the service. And within a couple of weeks, I was working at the Mint. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Well, then what? They just take your pulse and be like, you're hired. <laughs> yeah. So. How was the Mint job? Was that was that cool? Did you get to like. What's that? How was the Mint job? Did you get to go into the production process and see the whole thing? It's very um, high security, of course, because right. you have, you know, San Francisco Mint does the stamping of the proof of uncirculated coins. Right. We also have down in the um, down in the lower, lower, lower basements. We have we had gold and silver bullion in right. those vaults, and uh, so it's very tight security there. And here again, you know, it was nice because uh, there was about five of us that were, you know, that got hired that are Marines. You know, we just got out and uh, <laughs> uh, of course the captain didn't know how to deal with us too much because he, he kind of figured, you know, he's just looking at us and going, oh my God, you guys are like, uh, you know, just way too oriented as far as taking care of stuff and, and also defending something, you know. All of us were good shots. Uh, all of us were very proactive. Oh, I got my friends coming out today. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I got they keep coming here every day, you know. But anyway, what's uh, happening is uh, he just didn't know, you know, normally everybody's melting out of us. We're just a high-strung bunch of group, you know, that was it. Uh, yeah, love that job. It was nice. I learned here again. Every, every place I've gone, I've learned something new. And I learned a lot working there. I really did. Cool. Then you go to customs and you find out. <laughs> and I'm going... Okay, the security here is not that tight. <laughs> That's just whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gold is worth more than the border. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to step back when you were recruited. And you said the Marine, Marine recruiter, did they use kind of the reverse psychology of, well, this is a very tough job. I, you know, only a few can do it. I, I doubt you'll make not, it. Not really. He said, you know, he said, it's going to be a challenge. It is a tough job. He said, I'm not going to kid with you. It's going to be tough, um, but it's challenging. He says, if you're up for the challenge, you know, I, I would go for it. Um, it this, is, this job is going to open a lot of doors for you in the future. And he was right. 
absolutely right as far as that I'm concerned. He, I don't think he had any, um, you know, trying to sell sell the Marine Corps in a smooth way. He was telling it like it is, you know, this is what's going on. We're first to fight, blah, 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 you know. So I knew what I was getting into getting there. I just, you know, I heard the words, but I, the experience came when all of a sudden drill instructor got in the bus and started screaming at us, get, get your feet on those yellow footprints. You know, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is where it begins. Like uh, Forrest Gump. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but look at, you know, like you said, the Paris peace talks were going on. I mean, when you were in Vietnam, when you were actually in Vietnam, but it was starting to wind down. Did you think when you were signing the dotted line that you were going to have a good chance of going to Vietnam or? This is how a 17 year old was thinking, okay? All my uncles have been in the military. My youngest uncle just came back from Vietnam, okay? He was in the army. Uh, I'm the only one that went into the Marine Corps, you know, all of them were in the army. So what's happening is that I wanted to be in the military and I wanted to be part of the Vietnam War. I really did. Um, why? I look back and I go more to say, just so I can say that, you know, oh yeah, I'm right with my uncles. I, you know, World War II, Korea and Vietnam, you know? So yeah, I knew that. I, I kind of figured that's where I'm going to go, you know, because even the recruiter said, you know, it's still going on. Great chances you're going to wind up going there, you know. Okay, no problem. <laughs> um, in terms of coming home and, and getting back, I mean, you got the job right away and you fell back yeah. in with Marines. Um, you, had, you didn't have a lot of time, you know, not being employed but what was the reflection time like for you coming home like that first night meeting your parents and then going to sleep in your bed uh, everything was strange totally strange in a sense that you remember the apartment very well you know oh this was my old room here this and that um saw some of my friends and it was like all of a sudden time stood still for them they're still doing the same stuff they did we're doing three years ago hmm. and i was like you know I'm beyond that at this point, you know, it's, it's just not, it was like being in the twilight zone almost. It was like, but it's, um, it, it took me a while. It, it took me a while to really feel that I'm back stateside. You know, it, it's just that things are different. It's the same stuff, but you're looking at it differently, you know, and that was what it was for me. Um, it just took me a while, but it was nice when I worked at the Mint because there's five of us. We were, we took care of each other. We, you know, we were able to talk, able to express ourselves, able to, if we're feeling depressed, let's talk about it, you know? And so we really did take care of each other. That I'd have to say was a gift that I had. That was having those other guys there working with them. They really did help. I think we helped each other through the whole transition of things we really did. And uh, what more can I say? Well, and that actually leads in. It's a, a question we usually ask later in the episode, but in terms of talking and for other Vietnam vets and for um, veterans coming home today, um, what advice do you have for them in terms of talking? Uh, not I, even just, to, you know, quote unquote professional, but 
I keep saying, I mean, later in life, my bag ripped open and, and I had to go for counseling. And that helped me out a lot. To the veterans, all I have to say is going to counseling doesn't mean that you're weak, okay? It does not mean that at all. Talking to another vet is one of the best things because they understand they've been there and everything, okay? Reach out. Don't don't swallow it. Don't don't you know think that oh just throw some dirt on it and walk it off. You know it's not going to be that way. Uh, little burps come up every so often, and that's going to be normal. Okay, we are seeing stuff at that age that no one should be seeing at that age. You know, so reach out. It doesn't mean that you're you know that you're less of a man or less of a woman. You know, reach out, and that's all I keep saying. You know about the whole thing. Don't be afraid to do that. Yeah, we've been talking about trying, oh, you know, Chris Lozano, who was on the show, it's uh, a Marine. He, you know, we talked about it on his episode. He, one of his Marines has had five squad mates commit suicide since the lockdown started and lost another one to uh, an OD. And yeah. we've been trying to figure out a way to do kind of like a, a campaign or reach out whatever we can leverage um you know we were talking about you know reach out check in our producer who used to be in advertising and is way smarter than us shout out jack ferris uh talked about touch base like just touch yeah. base with someone um is it even just the small things like what for I mean, i'm gonna go to the opposite end of that for a family member or um maybe you aren't feeling the need to talk but someone else may feel the need to talk um how how important is it just to to touch base like that even a small thing a text message um, just listen sit down and listen you know don't don't interject don't tell them oh, it's, it's going to be okay don't you know let's be real okay just listen to him and if he needs help with something help out i also belong to a, a marine corps facebook page and there are a lot of prayer requests on those things on that page, you know, from different Marines. I had one matter of fact asking for prayer because he's getting his leg amputated. He's talking about getting amputated tomorrow. And all of a sudden after surgery, he showed, you know, bandages on. He said, well, I'm a little shorter than what I was yesterday. So all the responses he was getting on Facebook was hang in there, brother, you know, uh, in for you, you know, and just, just, really, really nice comments that showing that people do care. You know, we care about each other. We also have women Marines that are on there as well. You know, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal Facebook, like I said, but there's constant, there's a list of people that are asking for prayer because they're hurting. Um, I need somebody to call me, please. I, I really feel like I, I don't want to live anymore. Boom. I'm sure he got all the calls, you know, one after another. That's all you got to say is help. Put a phone number on there. They're, they're going to call. So it's great. I look at today compared to 1973. We didn't have that. You know, we were still on rotary phones. Okay. We, um, we, there's no face, you know, no face uh, time at all. It, it, it's, you got to go down there and visit them, you know. Um, so today it's a little bit better. 
in a way, you know, if they're willing to reach out, it's a whole lot better because there are people that care out there, you know, regardless of what some people think, there are a lot of beautiful human beings here in the United States, absolutely wonderful, that are willing to help you out with anything. And like I said, the Marine Corps page is nice, really is. It's on Facebook. That's one of the ones I belong to, as well as Legacy Customs and Customs Old Timers. And <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I've got a couple, you know, just even police pages that I'm on and um, um, all the group, you know, all the groups on Facebook, if you find like-minded, um, it's just nice to check in every once in a while. Yeah. Um, it's good to have a tribe, man. Sure. Uh, I'm Luis. I'm, I'm, I want to jump back a little bit to something you said earlier about, uh, taking the elevators up on the outside of the twin towers. Have you, did you go back to ground zero after they came down? Have you, have you, did you like live the whole life of that building? I, the year before nine 11, I had my daughters and we were at the Hilton across the street, just literally across the street. So they got to see the towers and everything. The day the towers went down, um, I went to New York, I think a year after that. And you could still, yeah. Know, I, I went into the church and I lost it. I was, I was in tears, you know, cause in the church you had Oklahoma loves you, uh, big banners of, from different States and stuff like that. And you could, you could almost sense how tired the police and the fire department were. That's where they were sleeping, you know, in that church that provided a lot of stuff. Um, on the outside, they have a uh, wrought iron fence and they were telling me that they had clothing that they were finding and they were hanging them on the, on the wrought iron fence on the spikes. And you can smell that flesh burn smell, you know, so that yeah. eerie, smell and everything was there um i it's just you know knowing what happened and how many people lost their lives and everything i i, I just lost it i i did i i felt the pain i really did you know yeah it's a crazy space yeah and especially for you i mean for any one of us just knowing what happened that day you know who were alive that day and remember seeing I mean, you know, we've got people joining the military who were born at this point, but for you even to have ridden up the girders when it was being built and know that your dad helped build that just has to, I mean, really kind of double or triple down on that for you. Yeah. Um, I, I've been trying to... Th <laughs> You have a special place here kind of in this movie because you were the very first person to ever show me the CBS footage of Craig Jorgensen getting shot. And uh, I remember, you know, because Craig, I met Craig as we worked together. I remember we were in the break room and you came in with the VHS tape for our younger viewers. And like a, I would say like a cassette tape, but you don't know what that is either. Um, but you plugged it in and you said, that's Craig. And we're like, no. Bull, bull something else. So you hear that voice? Yeah, I was walking down the trail. <laughs> so, but for for you, I mean, we went on several burn runs together, just you, Craig, and I. And obviously, I know the rapport. But for you, I mean, he was in the army. You were a marine. But did you have that extra shared experience when you first met and just both Vietnam vets and and 
and kind of fell in right away? Or what was that like? I mean, well, there's a lot of veterans in customs. Um, it was our sense of humor. Craig and I have a warped sense of humor and we just absolutely hit it along from day one. Um, being in the military, of course, we respect each other very much. Um, that was a given. But Craig and I hit along as you know as soon as we started throwing humor back at each other. Well, you you've been stuck with us in a van, so <laughs> only for hours, only for a day at a time. Yeah, yeah. Any more than that, I would have helped. I would have showed you who my counselor was. <laughs> a lot of puns being back thrown back and forth, Dustin. A lot. I I uh I've met Craig. <laughs> he is a hoot. He really is a good yeah. person. Yeah. But, yeah, there were, you know, just even expanding it though, like, you know, like the cab driver said, we've got to take care of each other. But, you know, did you have a special, I don't want to say subspace, but just a, a community, even inside the community, just knowing there's other vets there and in, inside the job? I, um, uh... The church I belong to, which I'm happening, was at, uh, we had uh, a rehab, three rehab houses um, that needed a manager. So I did that for a while. This is clean and sober place. So it's, it's, it's giving back, you know what I mean? Helping these guys through, because I know a lot, these guys were not vets, but I know a lot of vets that went through this and are still going through it today, um, you know, and uh, it's just a way of giving back of some sort. Um, I've done, wife and I actually have done quite a few things through church in helping people strengthen their marriages, do, you know, we've, we've done a bunch of stuff through church for the community, but I love doing that. Uh, you know, that's just me. Um, here he was talking about, you know, what are you doing working? I says, I love my job. You know, I get to talk to people at, you know, on the curb and as I move them along, but I get to meet people from all over, you know, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And that's kind of a way of giving back as well, you know, making them feel at home when they come, you know, when they arrive here for the first time or whatever, making a big deal of it, you know, for them and everything and make them feel like you all said, wow, this is, this is really a nice place to come to, you know? So yeah, anything I can do. Exactly. And Dustin. Uh, I want to jump back. Did you, uh, did you ever see that cabbie ever again? Or was that just a one-off taking care of each other moment? Say again? Did you ever see that cabbie again? Or was that just a one-off taking care of each other moment? Um, I had, I went back to San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't been, when I left the Bronx, you know, that visit, I went back to San right. Francisco and it was years later, I went back to the Bronx again. So Never got yeah. to see that guy ever, ever again. But like I said, it's funny how, uh, and I'll, and I'll put it in my own words. It's funny how the Lord puts people in, your, in front of you to help Amen. you out when times in need. You know, when I thought I'm not going to get home here, here's this guy who says, "Come on in," and didn't want to even charge me. You know, yeah. um, like that's why I say he was my angel. You know, all of a sudden, where you come from? You know, thank you. You know, so things and it's been like that through my whole life pretty much uh, going to the mint working with these guys it was like wow this is going to be okay i'm okay you know i'm not working with civilians that are asking questions that are to me i, I think 
they're pretty stupid to ask, you know, <laughs> of any veteran. Don't yeah. don't ask those questions, you know. So it was nice talking to these guys and nice all of us got through this whole thing pretty good. So yeah, things like that work out. Thanks. And what you know, a lot of the reasons that we started this podcast is to start bridging gaps. Um, you know, the shared experience, you can go back World War One. you know, we've read about um, Homer's written uh, poems about Achilles, uh, Achilles letters home, and it, it very much describes, um, you know, it wasn't obviously called PTS back then, but the same type of thoughts and um, yeah. shared experiences all through the generations up until today. Um, what advice do you have for veterans coming back today? Um, to help with that transition? Like you say, if it's difficult to make that transition, please get help. Don't, don't um, think that, like I said before, don't throw dirt on it and, and walk it off. It's just, that's not gonna work. Get some help. It doesn't mean you're less of a person, okay? It means that you're a strong person, that you're a fighter. That's what you were trained to do, okay? At this point in time, it's you're fighting for yourself. Please, I ask that, you know, just reach out, okay? There's a lot of places out there. VA also has uh, some resources, very good resources. Um, reach out. That's all I keep saying, you know? Yeah, and, you know, we've talked, and I guess the gamut too, just in terms of, of employment, um, you, you got right into it right away. And yeah. um, do you think that was better for you to dive right in or you know some people taking a lot of time to kind of come to equilibrium shall we say uh, i uh, personally me i can do downtime for a little bit i cannot do downtime for a lot so 18 months would have been way way too much for me and probably put me in a slump getting Staying busy is the best thing because your mind stays busy. It doesn't dwell and dwell is horrible. Okay. So it, it, to me, it's wonderful. I'm still working, but I'm working, you know, three days a week, seven hours a day. You know, I'm out here in this beautiful sunshine. My uniform is shorts and a polo shirt. Okay. So that tells you year round, by the way, <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I'm where I want to be. You know, the beach is close to here also. That that gives me my alone time um, to just take to take a nice long walk on the beach and everything and never know what you see. Dolphins or you may see a manatee out there or you may see a turtle, sea turtle. Never know. So it, it's nice. Like I said, I have all the things like they usually say, find, you know, find a place of peace that gives you peace. Well, I have found a place that gives me total peace is here. So I'm good with it. You know. Have you ever seen a shark? Yes. <laughs> of course, we're on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> my, my ongoing battle with R.B. Alexander, why I don't go in the ocean, uh, just confirmed again. Thank you. <laughs> well, no, I don't, I don't tend to worry about them as much. Um, we have a place here called uh, Lake Miyaka, 
And it's just right down the road from us. Uh, that's a matter of fact, where the National Cemetery is at, Sarasota National Cemetery. My mom and dad are buried there. And uh, Lake Miyaka has over a thousand alligators. Beautiful place, beautiful. There's trails, there's um, all kinds of stuff there that you can do. Uh, take the little, they have a flat bottom boat that just chugs slowly across the water, but they, they give a nice tour of the whole lake. And you can see all the alligators and stuff like that on a good day, you know. So, and you learn a lot about them. Uh, people actually go fishing in waders inside there. And I'm going, no, they're nuts. Well, there's a certain alligators only feed when the environment is correct for them. You know, if it's too cold, no, no they don't eat. Um, so you're safe. I, I still don't trust it. It's a wildlife. I don't care. You know, I don't care what you pay me. I'm not going in that water, you know. Um, but people do. I mean, just, but they're from here. They, they know what they can and can't do. I know that reminds me of when I was in Australia in oh, 2002. Um, we're in Sydney and took the harbor tour. And, you know, it's a, a narrated um, uh, recording, but you go back, there's this place called Manly Cove. It's got some nice yeah. houses on it. And the narrator is like, this is some of the most dangerous waters in Australia. It's a shark breeding ground. And he was talking about an eccentric American author in like the 1920s, 30s, wanted to prove that sharks weren't dangerous. And so he would swim in Manly Cove twice a day, um, swim across it and back. And he's like, see, everything's fine. And everything was fine until a shark ate him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god yeah they're like he's dead now a shock ate him <laughs> <laughs> so everything's fine with the fishers and then until there you go. yeah i said i respect wildlife truly respect it you know it's nice to see um like when i finally saw my first bear um the distance was about you know 500 feet you know so it was at the perfect distance that i wanted and I was in my car, so I, was, I felt really safe there. But I'm not going to get out there and get close to things. You know, it's just not, I don't know. I, I, I don't trust things <laughs> that yeah. you have no control over. No need to tempt fate. Fate always no. wins. No, exactly. <laughs> so um, anything from Taos, New Mexico, Mr. Sweet? Oh, Luis, uh, thanks for joining us today. No, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate you guys. It's good seeing Dave. I haven't seen him in for forever in a day, and I miss I him. I feel that way day. every time I see a smiling face. Isn't it great? What a great guy. Well, my he favorite is. times I smile. I, I just enjoyed the days that we rode all the way down to Oregon together. Yeah, you know, I look forward to it every time. It was fun. Well, and as an officer, you know, you come in and you check the duty roster, and it's kind of like, oh, okay, good. Sanchez is our soup today. Like, it'll be a good day. <laughs> We, we did oh, not you. know that about every supervisor. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> well, thank you again for having me on, uh, on the uh, pod and everything. And when, when will it be presented? It's happening uh, it, right now. No. Yeah, you're live. No. <laughs> um, it, will come out, it will come out on Monday. Um, I'll send you a link beforehand. Um, you know, show it to your friends, family enemies you know clicks a click no, no enemies <laughs> yeah so um but for the audience who's with us you know thank you for for joining us uh, make sure you know same thing friends family enemy 
anything you know tell your friends give us a like a subscribe um enjoy your your monday afternoon when you're listening to this or tuesday wednesday we'll do you've been listening to the know their story podcast if you made it this far we must be doing something right let us know by subscribing to our channel and think about sitting down with the veterans in your life because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation not the end